0: invite you now to join us here in the studio with michael card i'm wayne Shepard, and mike it's great to be with you again yeah i enjoy doing these together uh, i do too yeah. I, I really enjoy my life in the studio hosting a number of different programs but i'm always so energized and, and encouraged well, through these conversations together we have such interesting guests i yeah, mean come that's on true. yeah yeah Starting with you, by the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> Quirky is not the thing. It's, no, it's, no, it's no, no, no. Well, let's let Peculiar. everybody in on what's going to happen here today. Yes. Uh, Kirk Whalum is going to be with us on the program. Yeah, uh,
1: just one of the greatest musicians I've ever known and uh, loves the Lord. He was an elder in a church that I was a part of for a, a long time. I, I just can't. Can't say enough good,
0: good stuff about Kirk. He's got Kirk. a new album out we'll talk about. He, he, and he does. It, it also uh, has to do with Martin Luther King Day yes. celebration here. Yeah, so.
1: and he was from Memphis, and he's going to tell us that whole story. Okay. So look It'll forward to that. Sort
0: of our, our community segment, sort of. But the whole show is really
1: about community. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking with Kirk about the beloved community, which mm-hmm. is Martin Luther King. And then we're gonna we're gonna talk about the community of faith from our Hesed conference. So
0: we're gonna be looking at community from a couple of different uh, perspectives. A busy hour it will be. And by the way, thanks to our listeners for sticking with us uh, for the hour, because uh, our statistics show that listeners who join us for this program stay with us for the whole program. Wow, I didn't know you could. Can you say? That's a, that's a compliment, I think. That's that's a that's a big investment of time. Yeah. Here's a note from a listener who says, "Thank you for continuing to share your God given talent." It was your songs that encouraged and carried me through ministering in China some twenty-seven years ago. Wow. Steve sent us that note, so but let's take time to listen to a song by Michael, and as a matter of fact, our guest who's coming up in a moment, Kirk Whalem, joins you yes. on this song as on it was the recorded in the studio earlier. It's called What Will It Take to Keep You From Jesus?
2: take to keep you from Jesus, keep you from heeding his call, the simple excuse of a heart that is hard, a reason that's nothing at all. And there was a man who was owned by his money, he was as rich as could be. But deep in his heart was a voice that was crying Telling him he wasn't free When he questioned the master concerning his problem The answer took his breath away For his money had come to me more than his soul Forever was dead in his way What will it take to keep you from Jesus Keep you from heeding his call a simple excuse of a heart that is hard, a reason that's nothing at all. And how long before you stop with your reasons? Take your defenses away. It's only a lie that keeps you from following, don't let it stand in your way. So many excuses and so many lies are blocking the light and the way. But the final decision to follow the Lord Will shatter and blow them away And once there was one who was lame in his body Sick in his body and soul Though he didn't know all the facts about Jesus, he knew that he longed to be home. So, with some of his friends, he went seeking and found him. So many stood in their way. So they tore through the roof and they lowered him down, for nothing could keep him away. And what will it take to keep you from Jesus? Keep you from heeding his call? Simple excuse of a heart that is hard, a reason that's nothing at all.
0: could listen to that
1: a second time. Yeah, whenever I doubt my musicianship, I just think, well, I got to play with
0: Kirk Whalum, so <laughs> I see what you mean. Kirk Whalum, welcome in the studio here.
3: Oh, man, thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure. You know, when it's an honor, it's not always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, Michael, it, it, let's give our, our friend a proper introduction here. Um, uh,
1: well, Kirk Whalum, I don't know. He's kind of one of those people that doesn't really need to be, in, need to be introduced if you know anything about music. Um, yeah.
3: So let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what,
1: I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's two guys I consider to be the greatest musicians I've ever known. Uh, one of them's Vance Taylor who played with earth, wind and fire and the other is Kirk Whalum. All right. So, but you have a story about this. guy. I do. Let can me, tell. can I tell yeah. a, a quick story on you, Kirk? Well, yeah, I'm, man, I'm, I'm just, well, I'm,
3: I'm, you know, I'm grimacing.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to tell it anyway. So it's, it's, it's the way that he does worship services. So before the service, he takes these little slips of paper that have Bible verses on them, kind of scatters them through the crowd, and then the the service starts. He walks down the aisle with the saxophone on, and he touches you on the shoulder. You read that verse, and then he. All I can say is. He plays that verse uh-huh. on the saxophone, interpreting it, and, and then segues into a hymn that everyone knows, and then we, we all sing On to hymn, the next one, huh? And then we go on to the next verse. He did that for like a couple of hours, and I was with uh, George Guthrie. who's like one of the great Bible scholars of all time. George looks over at me and said, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, where does that come
0: from? Where'd you get that idea?
3: That's a good idea. I, I mean, question. I think really that... You know, I, I became convinced, that, uh, convicted at a certain point, that music, in some ways, is a truer manifestation of of the of this this that I later learned on learned. You know, from my buddy Michael. You know, this loving kindness, this grace, this tender mercy. Um, you know. <sighs> the the written word can come off sometimes, you know, strident depending on who's interpreting it and and, and who's listening, you know, because, you know, people bring their own set of of beliefs and sort of confusion and all of that, you know, to that moment, but the music can go in, I always say that music can break and enter into a person's heart, Mm. you know, and and it does all the time, like like you don't really have any any defense mechanism like any alarm system you know to to you know to keep music out you know you just it, it, people who are hearing uh impaired that's' that, they're the only ones who can say well yeah you you can't get to me, but if you've got ears that are functioning well, then music gets in there, yeah. and the question is, you know what does it do then and and I would say that you know. Not just Christian music, but just music that God's hand is on, goes in there and it doesn't take anything, it deposits something.
4: Mm hmm.
3: Imagine if people broke in your house and left you some money. <laughs> you <know?
1: laughs> doesn't happen very often, um, does it? <laughs> well, Socrates no, says, too. Socrates says, when the soul hears music, it lets down its best guard.
3: Mm Okay, I, I, so that that is a much more articulate way. Well, of no, stating it.
1: that's exactly what you just said, though, right? This music has this way in that nothing else has. Yeah,
3: it's powerful. I I totally agree. Man. Yeah. Huh. Well, so and, I do believe that you know when we when we allow ourselves to be open to the spirit, um, in in this not just interpreting but kind of manifesting what what the spirit would say to us, what yeah. Jesus would say to us. It, it not say through our 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 cognitive channels, you know, that are so kind of distorted and messed up, but th- but just say directly to our hearts, and that is a big big topic, and it's not it's there's not a whole lot of research you can do on it, except that man, I, I think I just got a blessing.
0: You yeah. know? Hmm. Hey, uh, Kirk, Michael has been playing some of your latest project here today, Humanite, and uh, boy, w- what an incredible album!
3: Man, thank you. It's really different for me. Um, You're listening to my very selfish, um, you know, 60th birthday present to myself. uh, And it it was more or less me at 59 going, hmm, I'm about to be 60. And it seems like the (laughs) last time I did one of these, you know, big, big, you know, moments, I was turning 40 and I said, it it, it just happens. Two weeks ago, it was I was turning 40. Yeah, you know? right.
1: So, yeah. right. It goes know? fast.
3: So I, you know, and I said, another two weeks, man, I'm going to be turning 80 if this happens.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Somehow, you know, I think so you'll still be playing that saxophone, though.
3: Dude, I said, get moving. You <laughs> yeah. know, what is it that you had in mind when you learned Spanish, when you learned French, when you... You know, initially, you know, traveling the world with Bob James, and you and and what what, what did you have in your mind that you thought you would have done by the time you were sixty? And yeah. so, like whatever that is, get it done. And so, humanity is is kind of the answer to that question.
1: Well, it's, it's an incredible community of musicians. I mean i i couldn't I couldn't believe now. I just I downloaded it, so I didn't get all of the. All of the lyrics and and I really want to know which songs of these you wrote because there's one of them that sounds like you um, mm-hmm. to me, but I I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out who wrote what.
3: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going to send you all that info uh, postpartum <laughs> and uh, and also I'm going to send you the, the the physical CD. But but yeah, just to say I co-wrote a lot of this music. Okay. I wrote some of it, you know. But but the idea was to collaborate. Uh, both in the writing and performing, with 14 artists from eight countries. Wow. And we went to those countries to do the, to, to do the writing and, and recording. And, you know, I was in France, I was in Nigeria, Kenya, and South Africa, and Japan, and Indonesia, and blah, on and on. And, and even have an artist uh, from New Zealand, but she came to Memphis, but... But yeah, we co-wrote. And, wow. and by the way, her song she wrote. But yeah, we 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 co-wrote a lot of this stuff.
1: Man. Wow. So the one that sounds to me like you is "Peace." Did you write "Peace"?
3: Oh, that's funny. So uh, that was that was robbery. Um, okay. I, I heard this song. <laughs> this. This this beautiful ballad that um, Grace Heditian had written. Mm-hmm. And just because I, I heard her when I was at Java Jazz uh, Festival, this huge festival in J- Jakarta. Uh-huh. And I heard her by, by accident. And she's a young artist. Um, it may have just touched me for, profoundly, but an emerging artist. Like, you know, her, her fan loyal fan base is probably in Indonesia. At that point, it was probably, you know, 4,000 people max. Uh-huh. And man, um, I I, one, I kept trying to write something for her, but I'm like, man, this song just speaks to me. And I I said, what if we were to redo this song and make it kind <laughs> ah, of?
1: Okay. I, I was
3: embarrassed to say it, but I said, what what if it's kind of a dance song? It's it's like they could play it in a disco in a yeah. club. Yeah but with the same message and all in this, this section that says, you know, the peace comes over me um, and my words just fade away. I, I choose to dream forever. Like this is the impact that God had on her life. And she happens to have been walking with God for a long time. A lot of the folks in these on these collaborations are, are not Christians.
4: Uh-huh. You know,
3: one is a Muslim, one is, you know, this and that. And, but I thought this is a, a great way for me to share my faith, and then learn from their faith tradition and just share the moment and let God do whatever God is going to do
1: okay, well, surely you wrote everybody Ought to be free that's you right
3: I did write that one yeah okay, yeah. but um I'm trying to think if that
1: one how about get your yeah, wi- I, wrote, I wrote that one How about get your wings up that's my favorite one.
3: That is such a cool song. So yeah. that's the song by Andrea Lisa, who originally South African but grew up in New Zealand. Okay. That's her song. Like, I, uh. I heard her on a cruise ship. And again, th- this is the story of Humanite, like the this, this project. I encountered these young artists, um, uh, you know, in one way or another. Her, I heard, as I was performing on a cruise ship, that she and her band had been the house band for this, wow. for this Cruise line. But they were performing that week because it was like there was 12 artists, jazz artists, on the screws of the jazz um cruise. Wow. And so she's like getting to hear some of her heroes. And apparently I was one of her heroes. Okay. And I'm like, I just don't get that. I mean, she's 24, <laughs> you know, and how does she even know who I am? And so that's, by the way, Michael, you know, concerning your music too, we're always. Shocked, you know, when we find out, wow, somebody in you know Kenya or somewhere
4: yeah. is, is
3: loving this music that you're doing. So yeah. that was the case, and I and I heard, I met her, and eventually, yeah, she's in Memphis hanging out with Ruby and me, and recording in my home studio. Wow. and I asked her if we could record her song, uh, "Get Your Wings Up."
0: Man, fabulous. that's a great, song. fabulous. Yeah. Well, the album is Humanite.
3: Humanité, yeah.
0: Humanité, and it really is a a global album. That's what struck me about it, and we love it. Um, I'm going to change gears, because I know your home is Memphis, Kirk, and I know you grew up there, and I know that the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. really has impacted your life.
1: Well, and part of the theme of Humanité is the beloved community. Yes, right, right. So they do come together.
3: Absolutely, and I have to give credit to the filmmaker, Jim Hainan, who some of if some of our folks would know from End of the Spear. It was a great, wow, uh, excellent yeah. movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. But Jim, Jim, just when he found out, I told him, "Hey, man, I'm, I'm doing this cool thing. I'm going." He said, "Okay, when are we leaving?" <laughs> Basically, uh-huh. and uh, so he documented the whole thing. But he was the one at the end of that all that traveling. We ended up in Memphis, and he's interviewing me now after we did this whole record. Yeah, and we're in Memphis, and we're celebrating. Just so happens, the fiftieth anniversary of the assassination of Martin King. You know, blocks from where we were, and and so I'm just giving my impressions about that and talking about it. And so he, he came back to me later when he went through the footage. He said, "Man, that's the name of the, the new name of this documentary is Humanity: the, the the Beloved Community." Oh. So he saw in the work that that I do and that we're doing. In making these um, not just collaborations, just life connections with these young artists from all these countries, he saw in their stories these parallels that led to this. That Martin's dream of the of beloved community.
4: Mm. What wow. is,
0: what is meant by the beloved community to you, Kirk?
3: So, so you know, I can I can say that what I am sure Mike would would um, agree with us that what Martin was speaking about and by the way he, the folks he had to convince uh well, a lot of them were white clergy you know those were the ones that were telling him yeah man not not now uh yeah. you know we need to you know do this incrementally blah 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 and and it just hurt him so bad man but 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 he he began to to lift off into the stratosphere of the beloved community it wasn't just this very important thing of civil rights for black people, or people of color, it's now poor people of all stripes and in all cultures around the world. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden you're stepping on some toes because he's saying like, for instance, and this is, remembers the sixties, he's like, what about the people of Vietnam? These poor people, why are we going over there killing them? I, I don't understand, you know? And so yeah. now all of a sudden he's in a political conundrum here at home because that war was making a lot of folks a lot of money
4: yeah.
3: and and so and and thus, some would say uh, his days were numbered uh, from that moment so, mm-hmm. so so the beloved community has to do with people who were otherwise marginalized, um, you know misunderstood, uh, oppressed uh, in in all cultures and and that that makes it a completely different thing mm.
0: and this goes deep with you because of your Memphis roots.
3: That's right, man. You know, I was only nine when he was killed, but, you know, I knew, I think instinctively that there was bigger than, okay, this is a great preacher who got killed or the the leader of the civil rights. You know, it was bigger than, I knew that it was a spiritual battle, a huge spiritual battle that was lost that impacts all of creation, all of culture writ large, Mm -hmm. uh, worldwide, I knew somehow, because otherwise, you know why? I couldn't sleep. I mean, I can remember just humming something to myself at night, trying to just get my mind off of it as a oh, nine-year-old, wow. trying to just go to sleep. But, yeah, it does impact me. My Both my parents were active in the movement. Of course, my dad, is, as a black preacher, you were in the movement, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, whether or not you wanted to be. <laughs> and because of the black clergy, you know, pretty much, That's where a lot of the leadership came from, including Martin King. Yeah. So and thankful for it. Being in uh, in Memphis is a big deal, and the celebration was incredible. uh, That 50 year celebration. Mm.
1: Well, a lot of people don't know uh, the the spot where where he was killed, the Lorraine Motel, also has connections to music. It's right down the street from uh, Stax, right? Yep. And that's where a lot of people. It was a black only hotel, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of people went to write music. Hmm. Yeah, it's that's and right. you, you taught you taught that's me right. all that.
3: Well, yeah, Michael. You know, you're what we call the cognoscenti. Uh, <laughs> it's like you know some stuff that not a lot of people know. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was it was. And by the way, it wasn't black only. The, the idea is that when it's owned by black people, and, and pretty much in any circumstance. It's open to everyone, uh-huh. and that and that was the point, you know. That, ah, I didn't know that, that. You know what I mean? That they could be in that space, uh, because remember the 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 house band for Stax Records, S T A X, for folks who want to look it up, uh, was an interracial band. It was two yeah. white guys and two black guys. Yeah. You know, Steve Cropper on guitar, Duck Dunn on guitar, you know Booker T on the organ, et cetera. So, you know, the idea that they would go to this place, this hotel, because they, frankly, because it had a nice pool and they could hang out. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter if it was black people and white people hanging out together.
1: Now, but am I right that that after King was killed, that that stack sort of lost, that that kind of fell apart?
3: Oh yes, sir. Yeah, it all went away, and um, and I mean, eventually, literally closed down. Wow. Um, and and they talk about, you know, Steve Cropper talks about how. You know, it's like you walk back in that place. And by the way, uh, also, uh, Booker T just has a new record out, and, he, and he's been on, on the circuit, you know, talking about this moment uh-huh. where you walk back into this place where race kind of existed in the best way. You know, yeah. so, well, race doesn't exist. Well, no, it existed, but it existed in a way where, wow, I see what you bring to this
4: yeah. moment, and I'm
3: bringing this, and you appreciate what I'm bringing. So it's this beautiful uh, synergy. Oh, all of a sudden, that that was gone because the wow. magic of it was gone because now all of a sudden, oh, geez, man, um, you know, white people, are, you know, responsible for this. But it, it was just, it was it was not the same ever.
0: Yeah, that's so sad. Kirk Whalem. Kirk, I got to tell you, uh, I've become a fan of your music through Michael's influence. Michael's the first one to ever mention you to me, and I, I'm so grateful for that. And just love what you've done with this new album, too, Humanite. And I like Thank to you, I like to say Kirk's a he's a pretty good musician he's a great brother yeah he's Christ's man yeah. in his world right that yeah. that music world so it, yeah, it's amazing
1: fairly good musician but you're <laughs> you're a great brother <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I would agree with that first one <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting I think it was it was, uh, um, Wynton Marsalis who, who once said that the music humbles you. Yes. Uh, like, you don't have to worry about really if you dig into it and you see what's really there. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, it, it takes care of the, yep. the, the
0: humiliation
1: yeah. part. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you learn humility by being humiliated. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, again, brother, thank you for joining us. And because of our conversation about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, I thought it'd be appropriate to ask Michael to sing Heal Our Land here as we end our conversation. So, Kirk, yeah. thank you. God bless you, man. Love you both.
2: Forgive, O Lord, and heal our land And give us eyes to seek your face And hearts to understand that you alone from
0: I'm so glad that you sang that song around the time when we observed Martin Luther King Day. And we had that conversation with Kirk around this time as well.
1: Yeah, and, and it, it makes me think about Martin Luther King as a person who, uh, and he's not normally seen this way, unfortunately, but he was a person who was trying to heal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, uh, trying to heal our land, and he was doing it. Uh, every one of those rallies, every one of those marches began in a church with prayer. They'd always pray before they marched. And uh, I think it's taken decades, hasn't it, uh, for the effect to take place. But I, I really do think we're making progress. A lot of people don't think we are. yeah. But uh, I think that healing process that King uh, longed for and gave his life for, mm-hmm. I think that's happening in our country.
0: It was encouraging to me to hear today about the beloved community. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why Kurt made that uh, the theme of this humanité um, uh, collection of songs, which is, and it's also a documentary. I've, I've uh, just found out uh, the 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 making of of the album uh, was uh, put into a documentary. But what holds those artists together and what holds those songs together is this same concept of uh, we've got to bring the community of faith together, and that's the only way we're ever going to heal this land. And um, again, I'm I'm more hopeful now than than I've ever been before which you would think given the current state of things isn't <laughs> it's not, doesn't seem that helpful but um, I always fall back onto the theology that Denny Denson taught me which was he's got the whole world in his hands and that's a reason to hope
0: and that's a good word to end this part of the program thank you Michael if you've been challenged by what you've heard so far please share your comment or post a podcast review when you search for Michael Card on Facebook or Twitter or use the contact us section of our website at michaelcard.com. While you're online, check out Michael's weekly blog, his music and books, and future conferences at michaelcard.com. Now before we take a break, I wanted to let you know that right now, Michael is leading a tour in Israel. I know that he and the team would appreciate your prayer as they wrap up this season of teaching and ministry. Coming up in the second half, we'll sample some audience interaction from a past Biblical Imagination Conference. That and more coming up in just a moment here in the studio with Michael Card. Join us for a classic in the studio with Michael Card. Next week's session will feature the late Pastor Donald Cole. Pastor Cole joined us at Mole End to share his wisdom and insights on the Psalms. We'll also talk with Dr. Lyle Dorsett about his study of the work of military chaplains. Then, to round out the hour, we'll get creative parenting ideas with Heartlight Ministries' Mark Gregston. Conversation and music centered on God's Word. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Michael, let's go into our commentary segment of the program, and then and a bit later in our community segment, we'll be taking questions from the audience that occurred during one of your conferences recently. Um, here's a comment about a book you've written on Hesed. Hesed became part of my lexicon, this listener says, a while ago when I read Michael's book on the lost language of lament. Soon afterward, I found myself purchasing a Hebrew-Greek keyword Bible. There's nothing wrong with English word translations, but understanding the key Hebrew words and their meanings to Scripture, like Psalm 51 just enhances the power and depth of God's Word. Yeah, I have a feeling
1: you agree with that, right? <laughs> oh, most definitely. And uh, I think the passage he's referring to is, is where uh, David, in Exodus 34, God uses three different words uh, to, to talk about the full range of, of, uh, of the sin that he forgives. Um, he talks about the fact that he forgives iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And then in Psalm 51, David uses those same words Uh, In Psalm 51, um, well, one and two, be gracious to me according to your hesed, because of your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. And those are the same three words Mm. that God uses in 34. Mm -hmm. And uh, before, I would have thought, or I would have said, well, David is quoting Psalm 34. I'm, I'm beginning to think that David thinks In Psalm 34, (laughs) it's just like Jesus doesn't necessarily quote the Bible.
0: He thinks it was so ingrained in
1: him. Yeah. Yeah. He he thinks in those terms. And if you'd stop him, he'd probably say, oh, yeah, that's from Exodus. But um, and I
0: don't know about you. I want to become more like that. So you just think in biblical terms. Mm -hmm. So Psalm 51, of course, we know is uh, all about forgiveness, confession and and forgiveness.
1: Yes. The Bathsheba Psalm. Uh Yeah. And David realizes he's he's basically done everything a person can do. He's murdered. He's committed adultery. I mean, what what sin didn't he? He's lied. What sin didn't he commit? Yeah. And uh, but but he he really Pascal would say every man needs to lick the earth. David at this point really licks the earth. He gets as low as he can go, and realizes um, that uh, all he's got left, his broken spirit and his contrite heart, is all God ever wanted in the first place. It's a huge moment. In the life of David, you see this as Hesed. Absolutely, he he realizes that even though he has a right to expect nothing from God, God's ready to give him everything, and he he says as much. You know, be gracious to me according to your Hesed, which means be gracious to me because I don't
0: deserve anything,
1: you know, but condemnation. Hmm.
0: Uh, the listener I quoted a moment ago said Hesed is a great book. Actually, the title of that book is in- Inexpressible. Yeah, because I know listeners going to want to look that up on the yeah. website at yeah. michaelcard dot com. So, well, what a great topic, and this is something you you love to teach about, don't you?
1: Yeah, uh, this has been uh, e- ever since the the lament. He re- he made reference to the lament book. Uh, that's when I sort of uh, became aware of this very special word. It's translated one hundred and sixty nine different ways. It's it's a huge huge word, but it's the it's the word that God uses to define Himself, mm-hmm. which. Uh, is fairly important, right? <laughs> <You think> so,
0: <laughs> well, this is something you teach in a conference uh, on Hesed, and you did that recently in Stowe, Ohio, yes. and uh, we recorded that. Did uh-huh. we tell you we were recording? By no, the way? I didn't. Did you have permission? <laughs> you, to do knew that? That? you knew. You yeah. knew that there was a, a great uh, question time for the audience about uh, living out Hesed, and so for our community segment today, we thought we would play that Q and A time, and we'll see how uh, how good you are at answering the questions. Oh, yeah. from the audience. We'll see. All right, Michael Card.
4: Like I, I watched this video recently that was about the prosperity gospel. And it talked about how people get this idea of like faith like faith plus. When you add something to it, it becomes so dangerous. Yeah. When it's faith plus I've been a good boy, God will save me. So it made, as you were reading through the Psalms and the example on um, the Roman centurion, that he understood who God was. Makes me think, do I come to God on the basis of Hesed day in and day out? Or do I implicitly fall into, well oh, have I been a good boy today? You know, have I kept my end of the bargain or have I done my yeah. sacrifice of a quiet time or whatnot? Yeah. Do I deserve Hesed? No. no,
1: you don't want what you deserve. Okay? Let, okay, let me read. Let me read a psalm that says exactly what you just said. Okay, if I can find it, Psalms. That's in the Old Testament, right? Okay. This. Okay, God is. This is Psalm seventy-three. This is the roadmap of all the Psalms. Okay, Psalm seventy-three. God is indeed good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. What is that? That's Torah obedience. If you're pure in heart, God will be good to you. But, that's a big but. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Prosperity. God's blessing bad people. whoa, oh, oh, there's a Houston. We have a problem. That's not how things are supposed to work. They have an easy time till they die. Their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Therefore, pride is their necklace and violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. In the Old Testament, it's good to be fat. Fat's a good thing. It means you're rich. Okay? Um, uh, they mock and they speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. This sounds like the person in Psalm 109, doesn't it? Right? Uh, they set their mouths against heaven and their, their tongues strut across the earth. Therefore, his people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked say, How can God know? Does the Most High know everything? So they're mocking God. Look at them, the wicked. They are always at ease and they, rec- they increase in wealth. More, more, uh, this is called kvetching, okay? <laughs> this is Asaph. Did I purify my, my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? I get, I've got nothing over here, right The rich, their eyes are bulging. I got nothing. I' got zilch. For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every morning. If I had decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless. What is that? That's the book of Ecclesiastes. right? I do not get this until I entered God's sanctuary. What is that? Presence. Okay. Then I understood their destiny. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. How suddenly they become a desolation. They come to an end, swept away by terrors. Like one waking from a dream, Lord, when arising, you will despise their image. In other words, like Psalm 109, God, you're going to take care of the wicked. These people that are really getting under my skin, I'm just going to give them to you. You know, when I became, and here's an apology Job does this and David does this. Now Asaph does it. They say, I shouldn't have said these things. Job says, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I said things I shouldn't have said, but they were things that needed to be said. Okay. When I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was stupid. I didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal towards you. Yet, here comes the turn. I'm always with you. Listen to the pronoun shift. I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me up into glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? The presence. And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, Those far from you will certainly perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. So God, it's this Job and Ecclesiastes and Habakkuk. It's all in Psalm 73. Uh, the presence is the answer. And so, um, I don't know how we got into this. I forgot what you said. You were talking about prosperity gospel and getting people to do good things. Oh, the, it's the gospel and good works. And give, giving to get something. Is that, how
4: we come to God? Do we come to Him on the foundation of testing? Of who He is? Yes. relationship with Him? Or do we come to Him on the foundation of what
1: we've done? You know the answer to that question. Yeah. yeah.
4: But like when you were reading it, like struck me it's like it's all about Him.
1: Yes. Yeah. And again, it's a vast oversimplification, but it's my friend that I can call at three o'clock. God is the person you can call at three o'clock who'll come and help you get your car started. And He's glad you called Him. And so when you receive that sort of chesed, if that doesn't somehow transform you, there's something urgently wrong with you. I think that's the point.
4: Uh, maybe I'm wrong or getting the, off track, but
1: it seems to me like what we're saying is it's the big R, relationship with God, mm-hmm. our Father, and unless you and even the example with Rahab, it's relationship.
2: She's already made relationship with them. Is mm-hmm. why she's asking this.
1: It's, but it's not a legalistic thing. But it's relationship that's informed by the character of who who that God is. Right. Yeah. Right.
4: It's, yeah.
1: And, I, and I think, you know, that's the difference in Job. When What happens to Job happens. Of course, he, he, he thought it was all the base. I'm, I'm going to do things, and this is what I get. God is the m M&M m man, right? I get, you know... And he he finds out in a really stark way that's not how the world works. And when he calls upon God, to, and like Psalm seventy three, when he asks for you know, hey, answer, tell me why this has happened, why am I prosper, why am I suffering and good people are prospering? He didn't get an answer to that, but he gets God. And so I think the relationship is is it comes out of that. So it is. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying, but that that relationship is. God is the person I can call at 3 o'clock in the morning when my car won't start. And he's glad I called. So I, I'm David. I've killed Uriah. I've, you know, and this, this little baby, has, this illegitimate baby's died. And I've ruined Bathsheba's life. And I've just, you know, disqualified. I mean, I've thrown everything away with both hands. But knowing the character of who God is, he can say, Forgive me according to your because of because of who you are. You create a clean heart in me. I can't do it. You renew a right spirit in me. I got nothing. I got zilch. And I think that—that that is to acknowledge the character of God and understand the relationship. And Job doesn't get that until chapter 43.
5: And there are lots of examples, particularly in a medical context, of God showing Hesed to people who literally could not talk, who couldn't open their mouths, who couldn't ask, who were having neurological issues, and they couldn't think, or they were under anesthesia, mm-hmm. or they had locked-in syndrome, and so many of them, after that experience, have said, um, I couldn't even formulate the question to beg for help, and yet God met me there That's good. and mm-hmm. showed me chasset and brought me through it, and after the fact, when they were able to finally talk again or write and they would say, "Yeah, he showed me hesed, but I did I couldn't even ask for it. He was there before I could
1: ask." Well, someone has said that we need hesed the most when we deserve it the least, or we need hesed the most when we can't even, when we don't even know to ask for it. And then God is faithful, Ruth.
5: I think the whole thing uh, reminds me of uh, the missionaries that uh, that go overseas. Um, it reminds me of my own life. The, the missionaries that came to my country Zambia they they reached my father and uh, I don't think these missionaries were expecting anything back hmm. from uh, those Africans the Zambians that uh, that they were reaching out to but my father got evangelized and my father started teaching us God's way and through that. I received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And uh, through the years, God brought me here as a missionary. And uh, when I think about it, um, I'm giving back, but not to the actual people that came to Zambia as missionaries. And it reminds me of uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 1, Which says, cast your bread in the waters, and after many years, or after many days, you recover it. You don't get it from the people that you give to, but uh, you get it back in some kind of way.
1: Mm -hmm. So you are a missionary back to America.
5: Yes.
4: America sent um, us... Sent missionaries to Africa, evangelize them, and then Africa sending them back to us and put them in the schools. Yeah,
1: and you know what? We have never needed you more than we need you right now. So I'd say amen to you being here. I'm not offended that someone from Africa has to come tell me the gospel. I need you to come and tell me the gospel. I need to come. That's so awesome. I didn't know that about you. Everybody get to know Ruth before you leave. She's awesome. Yes
4: pay it back or pay it forward and yeah that's
1: I think that's what captured everyone's imagination about that whole pay it forward thing because there was an yeah. element of hesed to that yeah we, we were created in the image of the God of hesed and and we resonate to hesed when we don't even when we don't even know what the word is we don't even know what it is you know what I'm saying because I was created for that I was created to live in that yeah yes
4: Prompting us to. To Hesed. To show Hesed to others. In so
1: far as we being, being conformed. into his image. Yeah. With the spirit that does that. Yeah. I think the spirit prompts us. To do really crazy things. That are that look like Hesed. The, the video. The, the guy gives all his money. And everyone thinks. What an idiot. Yeah. I think the Holy Spirit tells you. To do crazy things like that. Yeah. Yes. I, I love
4: hearing about the heart of David and is so yielded to God, right? Mm-hmm. And we see in the scriptures that, you know, that um, David is always, you know, that God is the refuge and strength. And um, when we look at Psalm 51 and what's in it, I'm just reminded that, you know, I, I God's hesitant to even send Nathan, you know, here's this man of God who is so yielded and in, in relationship with God, moves away from God, and and God's hesed sends Nathan to him, Mm -hmm. which we have the result of David's response to that in Psalm 51.
1: Mm -hmm. Anything else? Yes. Just a
4: question. Um, Why did they call David a man after God's own heart?
0: Is Is he after his heart, or is he like him?
1: I think David intuitively understands what God is like. He understands God's heart. Now, unfortunately, he doesn't seem to make a, you know... Changes behavior all that much, at least initially. But um, I think that's what that means. He's, he, he understands God just like Moses understood him in ways that people didn't understand him. And I think that's intuition. I think that's that's Peter's confession in Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say I am? Peter has this intuition that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, man didn't show that to you. God showed that to you. It's an intuition that Peter has. And, and maybe that's the Holy Spirit, too. But... Um, well, certainly, probably is the Holy Spirit, but I don't think those men are unique. I think that hap- that can be so with all of us. I think God gives us intuitions about what He's like and who He is, and uh, and how could we not respond? How could we not act on that? I mean, just what we're seeing here just this weekend about His His character, and I really do think. I mean, I'm not a dogmatic person, but I think. Two hundred and forty-eight times in the Old Testament, and then all the way through, revealed, incarnated in Jesus in the New Testament. I think this is fairly undeniable. Who's going to say no? God really isn't that way. Although people, plenty of people, do say that.
2: There is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life, and freedom for those who obey. And all those who seek it shall find it, a pardon for all who Hopeless inside for the blind And who share incarnation with Him Who belong to eternity Stranded in time And weary of struggling with sin Forget not the hope that's before you And never stop counting the cost Remember the hopelessness when you were lost Cause there is a joy in the journey
0: michael the words to that song are uh, hanging on the wall right over here in the corner mm. as a matter of fact joy in the journey thank you i was listening to, with interest to the uh, questions that were being asked there at the conference in ohio i wasn't yeah. there that day but it was interesting to hear the questions and to hear the heart behind the questions
1: yeah uh, some very insightful um uh observations and and sometimes you can say more from a question than you than you can from an answer but um mm-hmm. uh, the young woman who was asking about David being a, a, a man after God's own heart, and she made the reference to Psalm 51, which which for me is is one of the most important insights into not just David's heart, uh, the reason why he was a, a man after God's own heart, but also his understanding of who God is and the, that understanding that gets imparted to us, and Psalm fifty-one is basically I call it the Bathsheba Psalm. It's the Psalm after, as she as she referred uh, to in the, in in the recording a moment ago. Uh, it's the song that David wrote after Nathan kind of tricked him into realizing mm-hmm. that he
0: was the guy. You are the man.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and what happens in Psalm fifty-one is that, that David realizes he has absolutely nothing to uh, commend himself to God. That that. The only hope he has is the the revealed nature of God. That is that God is a God of loving kindness, and that He's abundant. Uh, his His compassion is abundant, and that God will blot out His sin, and God will wash His guilt away, and God will cleanse Him. You know, it's it's all it's not all now. On God mm-hmm. in David's mind, there's nothing more we can do for ourselves. There's absolutely nothing, and there never was anything we could do for ourselves. But it, it took this this disaster in David's life, the death of this innocent man, and all the everything that was associated with with Bathsheba. But but what happens at, towards the toward the end of the Psalm is uh, is for me the the highlight in verse 16. David says, uh, "You do not want sacrifice, or I or I would give it." That's something I could do. You're not pleased with a burnt offering, but the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart. And I think the reason why that, that statement really rings so true is that at this point in David's life, that's all he has left. He's got His heart is broken, and if anyone's been humbled, David has been hum- humiliated and humbled. Uh, by what he's done and what what he's caused to, to happen in Uriah's life and Bathsheba's life, and uh, and I think all you have to do is remember, although it's not referred to any place in the psalm, but out of all of this sin, out of all of this brokenness, we get Solomon. Hmm. Yeah, you know, so the God of the God of Hesed, the God who, though I have a right to expect nothing, gives me everything. God gives him gives us Solomon. And uh, we have this remarkable reign, although Solomon's reign sort of ended with a, a whimper and not a bang. Uh, but, but David's hope and our hope is completely based on the grace of God. And it, it, was, it was true
0: a thousand years ago, and it's true now. It certainly is. Thank you, Michael, for this reminder as we come to the end of a great hour together. Our prayer is that this program has expanded your understanding of God's Word and how to live it out before a watching world. If this is true for you, we hope you'll invite a friend to discover what you found. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, or on Spotify platforms when you search for Michael Card. And it would be a great help if you took a moment to post a review. On our website, you'll find links to our guests, the past program audio archive, and Michael's weekly blog. There's also information about Michael's books, his music, and conference ministry at michaelcard.com. For the whole team, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for listening to In the Studio with Michael
4: Card.